Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units stand by for On Patrol with the PPD, airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. My name is Mike Wynn. I am one of the co-hosts and co-producers of this weekly radio program. I'm joined in studio this morning by sound engineer, Cops Bureau Commander, Lieutenant Gary Traversa. Good morning, Lieutenant. Good morning. How are you this fine day? Still waking up. Today is Friday, July 2nd, 2021, and we thank you for tuning in and joining us to all of our viewers and or listeners. LT, let's start with a check of the weather, and we'll talk about some news, and we'll talk about the week. WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area. Today, showers likely with a chance of thunderstorms. Near steady temperature in the lower 60s. Temperature falling to around 60 this afternoon. Northeast wind around 5 miles per hour, becoming east this afternoon. Chance of rain 70%. Tonight, a chance of thunderstorms in the evening. Mostly cloudy with a chance of showers. Lows in the lower 50s. East wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Chance of rain 50%. Saturday, mostly cloudy. A chance of showers in the morning, then showers likely with a chance of thunderstorms in the afternoon. Highs in the lower 60s. Northeast wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Chance of rain 60%. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. Holiday weekend. The rain is here. Not your typical 4th of July. There's nothing typical about this 4th of July. Yeah. I mean, I know that the calendar rotates like on a regularly predictable basis, but it seems odd to be celebrating the 4th of July on a Sunday. It just... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyhow. Um, all right. News. What do I want to talk about with the news first? Let's... Well, let's... I don't... I didn't pull a citation for this. I was watching the, the morning news cycle. Um, you know, it's a week-old story now. Still following national news about the um, building collapse on the side of Miami. Um, international rescue crews flying in. I saw a news article last night. That there was a rescue crew from Israel that landed in uh, landed in the states yesterday and asked to be take to the taken to the location without going to their hotel to check in or rest. They just wanted to get to work. Um, there's a story in this morning's news. I just you know for for the people on those search and rescue crews, the, for the most part, firefighters and engineers who have deployed from all over the country and all over the world to be there. Um, you know, just our hearts go out to the families of those who are still reported missing and, and those who have died. But the rescue, like yesterday, um, the rescues reported hearing a woman's voice while they were removing rubble and they couldn't locate the source of the voice for a couple hours. And then it just stopped. Um, it That just, you know, the 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 impact on these first responders who are trying to work this. And, and I... It, it's secondary to the impact on the families who have lost people. I understand that, but you know we're we're first responders, so we we share this kind of mindset. I can't imagine the frustration that must set in when you're involved in that type of operation, and then the the, the noise just stops. So, rescue efforts continue. Um, you know, I was listening to a story not related to this. Um, you know, you, you can you can go a long time without food, not as long without water. Um, you know, but they're still in rescue mode. They haven't switched to recovery mode yet, so our fingers are crossed for them. 
Uh, in local news, um, so this case popped the other day. I was listening to it before I, I got out on the road. Um, you actually were kind of like peripherally involved in some of this. So Dalton PD, in, you know, I guess from the news article, this was something that they had been looking at for a while. But Dalton PD knew that there was a woman who was, uh, you know, known to frequent some time in their town, had local roots, but was wanted out of Florida. And so they had been uh, surveilling and, and, and looking for her. And they spotted her on, uh, what was that, two Wednesday, Wednesday. And uh, pulled the car over, occupant gets out, she jumps into the driver's seat, takes off, tags a cruiser, leads him out a little pursuit, comes into Pittsfield, hits another cruiser, gets into a cul-de-sac, runs into a swamp. It was, it was actually at the end of the street, right across from East Street here. Yeah, yeah, right, right um, out here in the orchards. Um, not, a, not a good move, right? You were wanted on a warrant. We're going to send you back to Florida. Now you got a bunch of local charges. So you're going to cool your jets somewhere here, and then we'll send you back to Florida. <laughs> I um, haven't heard the condition of the officers from Dalton that were involved, but I believe the the officer that initiated the stop was dragged for officer momentarily. Bez officer Bazella. Yeah, and yeah. then another officer was injured and um, is so okay. Officer Miller is back to work. He's going to yeah. be okay. Officer Bazella is out uh, with unknown injuries for an indefinite length of time. Yeah. All right, and then in super local news, uh, some personnel moves in the department, right? So we have a brand new detective uh, going in the night shift. Detective... Cody Savello, and in an interesting and ironic turn of fate, the uh, the interviews were completed, and the decision was made, and the orders were cut, and Detective Cody Savello essentially promoted into the spot being vacated by his father, long-time serving, 30-plus-year veteran, Detective Glenn Savello. Uh, so that was an interesting... Uh, Interesting turn of events. Cody got his personnel orders, uh, making that move effective Sunday, and Glenn's last day of work was the afternoon of the first. Cody will do well. He will do well. Uh, and uh, Officer Cheryl Callahan was promoted to temporary sergeant. Um, Cheryl had served as a provisional sergeant previously, and uh, she's re-promoted again. So she will also um, put her stripes back on on Sunday. So lots going on. There is. Yeah. It's always like July 1st, you know. It, it's it start, start of a new fiscal year. Yeah. Right? So administrative services is, is going at it. Um, lots going on there. Closing out the books on the last fiscal year. Getting ready to open up purchase orders and blankets on the new fiscal year. Cars getting ordered. Equipment's getting ordered. People starting to select what they're going to need for new uniforms for the ne and equipment for the next year. Lots going on. Yep. And then, of course, you know, it's summertime, so everybody's going to want to take some time off. You got time yes. off scheduled in the books, Lieutenant? I think I'm going to send you a message today. Okay. I finally have it figured out. Finally got it figured out. <laughs> I'm going to take a little time off next week, too. That'll be good. All right. So where are we? There's, there's so much going on right now. Let's... Um, Let's start where we left off last week with the school resource officers. 
we'll kind of go there and um then we'll pivot into some other just it this has been a weird couple of weeks so last week we were talking on the air you were you were providing a lot of color commentary lieutenant which um my bride commented on and she said that you were much more talkative so it's his it's his lane he spent his <laughs> career there right um so we were talking about the school resource officer program and it, we didn't get into a lot of details about um you know kind of how we got here and why we got here and, and it's not important um so a couple different things one is that under police reform the police reform legislation that was signed in 20 20, December 2020 that is now in effect um, in order for us to continue to place officers in the school as permanently assigned school resource officers we must have a signed memorandum of understanding with the school district that's no longer out it used to be highly recommended now it's required and our school resource officers um, you know it, it, sometimes I think this is the stuff that gets lost in discussion our school resource officers they're they're people um, they're professionals, they're highly trained, but they have lives outside of work. And so just like the rest of us, we kind of need to know what our work requirements are going to be so we can plan and work around them. And so in the spring, um, when we were pushing back and forth, trying to find out if uh, the department in the district were going to enter into the MOU, um, you know, and after, I can't remember, I think it was the May school committee meeting they tabled the mou they tabled the discussion on the mou they wanted to take a longer look at it and they want to have some discussion with it so i had a conversation with the mayor and i said that's fine right i i get that but one way or the other i need to let our officers know by july 1st what their life is going to look like in september i can't it can't be the end of august and a decision is made and i call them up and say oh yeah by the way yeah you're working the admin schedule on days you know congratulations no change to your life or conversely the memorandum's not signed, report to patrol on midnight. It's, it's not fair, right? They need to have time to plan their lives. And so I had set a date of July 1st for me to let the school resource officers know um, what, what their life was going to look like. Unfortunately, there's not a school committee meeting until August 13th, I believe the date is. So they're not going to take it up again until then. And the SROs need to know what's going on. So like I said last week, we're not gonna, we're not gonna not protect the schools, right? That's not an option. We're gonna do something, but we had to pivot a little bit and we had to get creative. So there's a couple different options on the table. Uh, one is what we kind of discussed last week that we might just assign the SROs to a new, the two, the two incumbent SROs to a new unit, a new bureau, and assign them overall responsibilities for the schools. They would work cases in the schools respond to the schools but they wouldn't necessarily be co-located in the schools um you know and that's not ideal but it's kind of it kind of addresses our requirement to have officers permanently assigned to juvenile crimes and to address you know the, the continuity of operations uh, i did have a meeting yesterday afternoon with uh, mayor tire and with superintendent curtis um they agree that's not ideal it's a contingency plan um but you know superintendent curtis He's essentially prepared to ask the district to at least, and you know, enter in the MOU and continue the program as it exists today for a year, so that he can kind of get his feet under him, uh, do an evaluation of the you know benefits of the SRO program, the concerns about the SRO program, open a wider conversation, and and not do anything is a knee jerk reaction. Um, I think that's a great idea because we know that police reform 
the police reform registration legislation also has requirements for changes to the school resource officer position and, and programs across the commonwealth so it just makes sense to slow that conversation down see what happens with the implementation of police reform and and kind of mayor anything that we do decide to do off of the changes that are coming across the commonwealth so more to come on that um the program will continue in some fashion either uh as as it currently exists or with our contingency plan and we'll know more by the second week in august you know I, i'm sitting here and i'm thinking that it might be helpful to to mention to viewers and listeners that the memorandum of understanding um that is kind of the the center of this discussion is we've always had an mou with the school district yes. it's it was initiated going back long before i was the chief yeah and it was you know what, maybe two pages it's fairly rudimentary yeah yeah so that was something that was due for an upgrade i remember when i was an sro which i i left the position in 2014 so we're going back at least that far um you know i i had started to take a look at the sr at the mou i had gone to some trainings um we just didn't get there you know as far as um making it more comprehensive the mou that we're talking about came about with the uh the mass Ref uh criminal justice reform back in i think it was 2018 um and that MOU is much more comprehensive. It has a lot of information in there that is, um, it, it just lays out the, the guidelines and um, how the program should be run, selection, and what considerations there are for <coughs> selection. So there's a, lot, there's a lot of information in there. And it, from my perspective, it's all positive. Right. You know? <laughs> so... So you mentioned selection, and this this is one of the interesting, um, and I, I guess from from my perspective, my point of view, the, the interesting and and the strangest aspects of this whole ongoing conversation, right? So, in my conversation with the mayor and the superintendent yesterday, we got some really, really third hand positive feedback about our current SROs and, and even about the current program. Um, you know, positive things about previous SRO, uh, Sergeant John Gray, and the work that he was doing at the Connick. Very positive stuff about Officer Jess Godfrey. Really positive stuff about Officer Andy McMahon. And and even acknowledgement that outside of their regularly scheduled duties, that they've been very helpful uh, to the staff and faculty uh, and the administration. And, um, and to a lesser extent, even some positive feedback on the effort that we, you know, I and, and, you know, assisted by you have put into selecting and placing SROs. Like to, for the most part, positive feelings about the program. But one of the concerns is the unknown future, right? And they're like, well, yeah, you know, we're happy with this, the SROs that we have now, but we don't know what's going to happen if, you know, Chief Wynn retires or that, you know, so we want assurances that, you know, selection is going to be, is going to be, significant and vetted and my response is that's in this mou right the current mou has no requirements for that i have in i have personal discretion in how to select and and place s sros 
If they sign the MOU, I lose control of that. It becomes a joint responsibility between me and the superintendent. And it's a more open and transparent process. And I don't have a problem with that, right? We're, as it exists, we're putting people in their buildings. So I would expect some input from them. And I've always invited the superintendents to weigh in on, on SRO selections. Um, but it's still a special assignment under the contract as it exists now, which means at the end of the day, it's my decision. If the SRO, if the MOU is executed, it no longer is my decision. It becomes an open and joint decision. Um, and so the, the very concerns that were illuminated are addressed in the MOU, but the response was, instead of like flushing that language out or enhancing the language response was, just don't sign it. So, <laughs> so it, it really the gist is that it, it clarifies best practices for the entire program and, and, puts, for, and formalizes them and, and it puts them on paper and th there was very little in that mou that we um you know edited yeah for for pittsfield specifically there were things like you know uniforms and you know schedule and chain of command that are specific to you know our department and pittsfield but for the most part, that is the standardized MOU that was recommended under the Rit criminal justice reform. It was written by the attorney general's office. Yeah. So, so stand by. More to come on that. Yeah. Anything to add? I don't know what else to say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, honestly, for, you know, for just to continue what. What I believe is that we have in the city is a good thing. I, I hope that um, you know it, we move forward and we maintain the SROs in the schools. Um, you know, like you had mentioned, I was in the unit for a long time, um, and it, it it's very positive. Um, and I just I hope that we can. <coughs> can look at this in terms of what the program brings to Pittsfield and not what's going on, you know, in other areas in, in, in isolated incidents, I want to say too, because right. it's not, you know, I think a lot of the, um, the, the, uh, maybe examples of a program not working well, or there being an issue are very, very few and far between, but, as is the case nowadays, they get highlighted in the media, and it it just kind of snowballs from there. Indeed. All right. So let's leave that topic. We'll pivot real quick. So I was on the road yesterday, up bright and early, out the door, headed down the down the turnpike, and um, the purpose of the trip was to visit the um, the Massachusetts State Police HSOC. The Homeland Security Operations Center. Now, I had had the good fortune to have a virtual tour of the HSOC when they stood it up last spring, last summer, um, during some emergency management stuff that was going on around the Commonwealth. But it was, um, it was. So I don't want to, I don't get too far in the weeds. So as we moved into emergency management crisis mitigation mode in the pandemic um, last spring. A couple, so, you've ever been down there? 
No. <laughs> so, so I have to I have to digress for a minute here. I had a I had a little bit of a flashback while I was walking across the parking lot. I've completely forgot about this. I've been down to Mima headquarters in Framingham, which is on the, like the next parcel next door to the bunker. Um, several times during my tenure as the chief, go down there for meetings and uh, you know um, briefings and stuff like that. That that's a whole other world, right? It, it literally is a bunker. You know, walk down these like deep, deep ramps here underground. And uh, so, I, but I I hadn't been to State Police Headquarters GHQ. And I didn't realize I hadn't been there until I was walking across the parking lot, and my I locked up to the position of attention because when I was in the academy twenty six years ago, that's where we went for swimming. And so I was making my way back out of the building, and I walked past the training tank. You can't call, can't call the swimming pool a swimming pool, right? It's the training tank. And so, uh, yeah, I just, oh, my God, we're back in the academy. But in any case. All right, now you're bringing back memory. I did. Yeah. I, yeah, I do yeah. remember being there for that. So the, uh, so what happened early, last, and this isn't, you know, we were down there for a, for a hot wash, for an after-action debriefing. And one of the things that was included in the after-action debriefing is that Prior to last year, all law enforcement in the Commonwealth, if we stood up the Emergency Operations Center, the Commonwealth Emergency Operations, the SEAC, uh, all law enforcement in the Commonwealth was represented by the, the desk representative from the state police. Now, love our brothers and sisters in French Blue, a lot of respect for the agency, but completely different perspective than you get from a municipal point of view, particularly from either a very large city municipal point of view, hundreds of officers, or a very small town point of view, handful of officers. Just that not, not the same perceptions, not the same perspectives. So one of the things that happened early last year is that under pressure from the mass chiefs, uh, for the first time ever, we got a mass chiefs desk representative in the statewide emergency operations center. So. Matt's chiefs have a watchstander in the SEAC during the beginning of the pandemic, and they're providing information out to through the Chiefs Association to us, and we're making requests to them, and it's fine. And then some other stuff happened, in particular some of the civil unrest that happened um, following the murder of George Floyd. And the Mass Chiefs rep in the, in the, in the Emergency Operations Center very quickly realized that there was a significant lag in an information hitting whoever it was whatever whoever that chief was they were getting information late and they were getting it third and fourth hand and sometimes the reason that that was happening and that everybody it was it was all well intentioned but what was happening was throughout the commonwealth elected officials or like dpw and dps commissioners who had a relationship with mima were calling directly to mima without having a conversation with their police and fire chiefs. And so this information was coming like, you know, through this big picture and, and things were just getting slow and slowed down and lost. So the state police, you know, kind of sitting watching this happen, they're like, we can do better. We, we can have a, a watch standing position, a, a, an ops center that's law enforcement specific for situation awareness across the Commonwealth. So they went to emergency, the executive office of public, uh, public safety and security, and they built one. And so during like, you know, last summer uh, and, and at the beginning of the fall, as things were happening across the Commonwealth, we frequently would get notice that we we're going to send a representative to 
the Homeland Security Operations Center. And they even like did a virtual tour for us during one of these things. And it, you know, we were given numbers to call in on and, and portals and it, it worked. Right? It was fine. But most of us had never, unless you stood watch there, most of us had never been in it. So yesterday they had scheduled a uh, hot wash and after action review meeting between law enforcement, fire safety, National Guard, other agencies. Uh, and they decided to hold it in this facility. So I walk in there about 930 yesterday morning. It was like walking out of the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. It was like, <laughs> whoa, uh, I can't. I can't give. Well, I couldn't take any pictures, and I can't do justice to it by trying to describe it. But it's, you know, if you've seen, you know, I'm, I don't watch, I haven't watched these programs. But if you see like something like Jack Bauer Twenty Four or Jack Ryan, and you go to the Op Center, yeah, that's that's basically that was it. <laughs> like like a NASA controlled command center or something. So not as much tech because it's set up for you to bring your tech in with you. But so yeah. like the front wall is all interconnected large panel monitors and so the whole wall is covered with these monitors and they're interconnected and you can put take or feed from a, a computer or whatever up on a single monitor or you can put the same image up on the whole front wall and so you, and then you can piece it out right so you could be watching we they were demonstrating some air uh, air wing capabilities for us and we literally in real time were watching two camera feeds from two different mass state police airships in two different parts of the commonwealth live right and uh i'm not you know i'm not going to get into some of the technical specifications apparently before last week uh there was some, there was some pretty significant bandwidth limitations on the state police they were limited they they could have multiple airships up but they could only watch one at a time and they had a very limited number of people who could watch without crashing the system that's no longer an issue they can have imagery coming in from all of their airships pretty much all at the same time put them up on different monitors have multiple people in multiple parts of the commonwealth watching them all at the same time it was pretty cool um and then you know the after action itself was uh very productive. I think we hit on a, uh, we identified a lot of things that we did very, very well across the Commonwealth. We uh, identified a couple capabilities gaps. We identified a couple things, um, you know, not just room for improvement, but things that we could learn, lessons learned from one another. I got to meet the Undersecretary for Homeland Security, and, uh, you know, she's traveling back and forth up to, back and forth to DC, you know, chasing down Homeland Security and FEMA money. So, put pittsfield on the map for that <laughs> so we'll see how this goes uh but it, it was impressive um I, I sometimes i forget that i get to do these cool things right just walk into state police headquarters and chief win pittsfield and they're like sign in badge in boom <laughs> like cool <laughs> going to the h sock nice. so i the only time i had ever seen a law enforcement facility, actually it's twice. The only time I had ever seen and been present in a law enforcement facility that came anywhere close to what I saw yesterday was when I was on assignment to Quantico and I got to visit the um, real-time crime center for NYPD and the uh, real-time crime center for DC Metro. Um, and so you know, that's 15, 16 years ago. And uh, I, I had never seen one uh, in New England that mirrored that, so it was pretty cool. Who staffs it generally? So that's the thing, right? It's it's a watch center, so um, it only gets stood up if we activate a watch. So, like, um, and I didn't even, I didn't tour the whole room and look around, but so just picture these large workstations, and each workstation has a 
you know, junction box for a couple electrical outlets and a, a, an Ethernet connection, right? And so, like, Station 87 is Mass Chiefs. Whatever chief is the watchstander walks in with their laptop, plugs in, and that's their station. And then it goes up to the monitor. If National Guard is Station 91, the guard, so whoever is designated for the, so anybody that is going to be placed in the watch center for the particular event gets a, gets a desk assignment and goes in there. And then at the back of the room is like auditorium seating. And so if you're not on watch, but you want to know what's going on and you have credentials, you can just go in, sit down and, and take in the whole thing. So cool. So, yeah, there was a couple of times last summer, um, the emails would come out through the chiefs group and they're like, we need, you know, we need a chiefs watchstander in the H sock from 1600 to 2400 Thursday night. And, uh, I, I sent my name out and volunteered a couple of times, but you know, the, the chief association realized it's, it's just, you know, in good traffic, it's two hours for me to get there. And they were like, now nah, we'll take guys who are 30 or 40 minutes away. So yeah. guys and gals. So, all right. So that was yesterday. It was something else that I wanted to. Oh, so where are we here? E31. All right, let's take a station identification break and check the weather. Before we do that, I have an announcement to read. Right. Uh, it's all you. All right. Pittsfield Community Television is proud to present live coverage of Pittsfield Suns baseball on Thursday, July 8th, from Wakona Park as the Pittsfield Suns take on the new Britain Bees. If you can't make it to the game, you can watch live on PCTV Select, available on Roku and Apple TV and the Pittsfield Community Television Facebook page. Live coverage of Pittsfield Suns baseball is supported by the insurance lady, Kate Lausen of Cross Insurance, Berkshire Community College, and Interprint. Also, the Berkshire United Way's Ready for K program, your CBD store, and Springside Rehabilitation and Skilled Care Center. Stand by for the weather. Berkshire weather. WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area. Today, showers likely with a chance of thunderstorms. Near steady temperature in the lower 60s. Temperature falling to around 60 this afternoon. Northeast wind around 5 miles per hour, becoming east this afternoon. Chance of rain 70%. Tonight, a chance of thunderstorms in the evening. Mostly cloudy with a chance of showers. Lows in the lower 50s. East wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Chance of rain 50%. Saturday, mostly cloudy. A chance of showers in the morning. Then showers likely with a chance of thunderstorms in the afternoon. Highs in the lower 60s. Northeast wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Chance of rain 60%. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. The Pittsfield Suns are back and PCTV Sports is bringing you close to the action. Pittsfield Community Television is proud to present live coverage of Pittsfield Suns baseball on July 8th from Wakona Park as the Pittsfield Suns take on the New Britain Bees at 6.35. You can watch live on PCTV Select available on Roku and Apple TV and the Pittsfield Community Television Facebook page. Live coverage of Pittsfield Suns baseball is supported by the insurance lady Kate Lozon of Cross Insurance, Berkshire Community College, and Interprint. Support for WTBR comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union, proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal, 
with locations throughout the Berkshires and online at Greylock.org. And from BeFair. BeFair is one of the largest premier human service agencies in Berkshire County. If you're looking for services for a loved one or are interested in caring for the people we support, visit BeFair.org today for available opportunities. Support for WTBR comes from Sandrini Enterprises, providing awnings and canopies in western Massachusetts, retractable awnings, retractable screens, gutter and gutter protection systems, commercial awnings, and screen rooms. Customized solutions available online at Sandrini.com. UCP of Western Massachusetts is hiring. If you'd like to help people with different abilities lead independent lives, apply at ucpwma.org jobs. We need direct and living caregivers. Join the agency who's reimagining independence. Support for WTBR comes from Berkshire Community College. BCC offers more opportunity and less student debt. With small class sizes and more than 50 academic programs to choose from, fall classes begin on September 7th. Apply today at berkshirecc.edu. And from County Ambulance, providing quality, professional, efficient medical care and medical transportation services to the citizens of Berkshire County. Online at countyamb.com. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us this morning for another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD. As you just heard, you can find us on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio. And you can also find us a simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. If you miss the live episode on Friday mornings at 9, you can check it out in the archival footage at the Pittsfield Community Television PCTV website. And I am always forgetting to mention that uh, you can also find previous episodes of our show on all of your favorite podcast platforms. You can either search for Pittsfield, uh, Pittsfield Community Television and or uh, just on patrol with the PPD. And you can find us on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you normally listen to your podcast episodes. I actually went back and listened to previous episodes after last week's show because I had missed your interview with Lieutenant Dolly and Lieutenant Carlo. And so I wanted to see how that went. It was a great set of interviews, by the way. <clears throat> but I realized I never I never listened to our own show after the fact. So when I finished listening to that one, I went and listened to a couple other ones. Um, I probably should listen to those more often. Catch up on a couple of things that you don't necessarily register while you're actually sitting in the room on the mics. <laughs> uh, I know what happened. <laughs> it, it, well, the other thing is, you know, it, it occurred to me that so we had you and I had a conversation recently about um, an email, an internal email we got from one of our officers who, um, you know, no fault of his own. Just, you know, you sometimes we just assume or take for granted because we were there for something or we shared something at one time that, you know, the institutional knowledge perpetuates and it doesn't. Right. And uh, and so sometimes you're like, why doesn't why don't they know about this? And it, it's a real easy thing for us to say hey just you know go listen to the february 18th podcast and and then all the information is in there right we don't use it it's a training tool that we could use as well so all right um i'm a little annoyed and frustrated and so i'm not going to spend a ton of time on this um but i did just get a, a internal communication in response to a question that i sent out um before the show started um and so how do I want to briefly address this, but I'm, I'm going to try to do it diplomatically. Uh, we didn't cover this news story. So um, earlier this week, Midnight's patrol on Midnight's responding to a report that originally came in as a noise disturbance, loud stereo complaint. Um, they encountered a car full of juveniles, 
on top of the Big Hay Street parking deck, engaged in a field interview, threshold inquiry, developed some uh, concerns based on some of the, the responses they were getting. Um, one of the patrol officers detained somebody and during that detention was led to believe that the subject was armed, conducted a pat frisk, and ultimately with the assistance of another officer, uh, took one individual in custody for possession of a loaded firearm, unlawful possession of a loaded firearm, a couple different violations. Two others fled the area. There's a brief, brief foot pursuit. They were caught by perimeter units and on a back track of the uh, believed um, path of pursuit. Uh, some heroin was discovered, and you addressed an immediate release that you know nobody saw anybody pitch it, so no charges were filed in relation to that. Um, the interesting sidebar of that whole story that has been well reported, we did a media release on it, is that the firearm that was recovered off of the juvenile arrested for the firearm charges was a ghost gun. Uh, an untraceable and, uh, for all intents and purposes, completely illegal gun. If you're not familiar with ghost guns, essentially ghost guns are um, how do, kits. Um, they're kits that you can buy online uh, and with a couple modif when you, upon a, upon receiving that, it comes with instructions and the um, accessories to make a couple quick little modifications. And uh, you can have a functioning polymer pistol frame. And then because the frame under federal law is considered to be the firearm, uh, you, you essentially have a firearm that has no serial number, no identifier. And because the other components of a firearm are not considered firearms, they're considered parts, you, once you have completed the modifications to this ghost gun, you can very quickly uh, obtain the other components, add them, and have a functioning firearm. And so this gun, ghost gun, 9mm, loaded, uh, subject was arrested, as we said, juvenile, and uh, we just confirmed, um, released back to the community on GPS monitoring. Um, you know, there's a lot of questions in the community is petition that's been sent to the mayor. She and I are discussing the response. You know, what is the department doing to address gun violence? We're doing a lot, right? We're, we're taking guns off the street. We're arresting people. Um, people are upset. People are angry. They, they have every right to be upset and angry, but they might want to look a little more broadly at the rest of the system, right? We got that gun off the street. We got the perpetrator. They're back in our community today. It's as, as frustrating for, you know, the the guys and gals at 39 Allen as it, any as anybody. I'm just going to leave that there. That's all I'm saying about that. Right? Mm. We we did what the law allows us to do. We got the gun. We made the arrest. We brought him to court. Our part in that is done. <laughs> okay, um, pivot. So we've talked about this for the last couple of episodes and we are probably going to be talking about it quite a bit for many, many future episodes. Um, so I'm just, I pulled up on the break. It's a news article from the state house news service, um, written by Matt Murphy. And it's, it's referenced in a Eagle article. Uh, and so we, we've talked about on, on the show in the past that going back to, Late this spring, early, early this spring, really, um, I had the honor of being asked to serve as the 
chief of police representative to the Massachusetts Peace Officer Standards and Training Commission, was uh, asked and appointed by Governor Baker. Uh, after some consideration and conversation with the mayor, I took that on. Uh, it's it's been interesting, um, you know, sworn in in the spring, and for the last I guess almost six weeks now, um, my one I was asked by Judge Hinkle, the the chairperson of the commission, to work on this small working group with two other commissioners, Commissioner Charlene Luma and Commissioner Hanya Bluestone. Uh, and the reason we were asked to put together a working group is we had a, a very, very tight deadline um, for a set of guidance that we were supposed to, we were required under the legislation to promulgate and push out uh, to all Massachusetts law enforcement. And the specific guidance that, um, the first set of guidance, it was due by June 30th, was um, guidance on de-escalation and disengagement strategies for dealing with children. And so I think I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, you know, depending on where you work in government and in criminal justice and uh, which section of the statute you're looking at, child could be defined anywhere between 16 and 25 um, different responsibilities with that. Um, de-escalation has, has different definitions in different industries. Disengagement has different definitions in different industries. We're providing guidance for law enforcement so we really had to narrow down definitions that were law enforcement specific and so um over the last like i said six weeks we had um done a lot of research reached out for some stakeholder groups had many many small working group meetings reported back to the larger commission in a series of commit public commission meetings and ultimately came up with a document that we voted to approve um on the 30th the morning of the 30th and it was uh, issued and disseminated later that afternoon. Uh, and so you can find the guidance uh, on the Commonwealth's website. You put in Peace Officer Standards and Training Commission. It'll take you there. Um, you know, it, the timeline was very, very tight. The, uh, the elements included in the statute were very, very broad. So I, I think it was... Uh, it, 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 was not an e it was not an easy task. Um, you know, Commissioner Bluestone, Commissioner Luma and I have spoken about it. The other commissioners kind of gave us some feedback during the meeting. I'm very pleased with the final product. I'm kind of proud of it. I think that, you know, what we managed to accomplish in the time allowed for us to accomplish it, accomplish it is, um, is significant. It was, um, it's, it's embedded in the language that it's a living document. It's expected to change and evolve as, you know, more, more guidelines come out, more regulations come out, more information and more evidence is gathered. Um, but for, you know, for a set of, for a very broad set of guidelines that was ta you know, included in the legislation with a very, very short window, um, you know, is it, is it perfect? Of course not, but it's a great starting point. Um, and it, I think it's, I think it's indicative of the, of the type of work and the quality of work that the commission will be able to, uh, turn our attention to going forward. We've got some. A, we've got more work ahead of us so there's another tight deadline coming up by the end of the summer unlike this one which was guidance or guidelines specifically promulgated from the post uh, the next one is regulations so they have more teeth and they're jointly developed by the post and the municipal police training committee so we gotta kind of you know start you know, to to take a turn from the legislator start conferencing some stuff with the mptc so we're getting ready to do that um but the 
the child-based guidance it's uh you know it's nothing earth shattering for the police officers out there you know it's, it's it's not gonna completely change our profession but there's some there's some good suggestions in there particularly around education and training of young police officers you know getting information into the hands of police officers early in their career um, that normally wouldn't be provided to officers until they become highly specialized so more to come on that it's a lot it's supposed to be summer (laughs) everybody else is taking time off we're scheduling meetings two times a week so i would imagine that's going to slow down a little bit nope we put four we put four meetings on the calendar before we broke wednesday four meeting four meetings in the next uh two and a half weeks wow and that that's not including any um small group subcommittee i can't say subcommittee a small group or working group meetings that that might have to be formed as a result of that uh so got you know the deadlines are tight there there isn't and there's not a lot of wiggle room there's been some conversation or some suggestions that the legislature should go back and amend some of these dates because some of them are unrealistic uh, but there's no movement on that so we'll see moving along we're getting there baby steps yeah all right i had another topic but i lost it So what's going on in uh, communications, outreach, and professional standards, Lieutenant? Uh, working through, um, we have to fill a, a dispatch spot or two. Um, there's. Uh, We're still doing interviews for those? We got through a set of interviews. Okay. We may expand that. Um, so it's uh, that's kind of been stretched out more than um, is preferable, but you know, it's uh, getting getting together with the dispatch supervisors and making decisions is sometimes a challenge uh, with all of our schedules. Um, but we're we have some um, clarification on some some direction that we want to head in, and and we'll be moving forward with that in the next week or two. Um, it's just, you know, it was a, a little bit of a, a busy week with the routine stuff. Uh, you know, uh, you mentioned some of the media stuff, so getting out, um, some press releases and, and answering inquiries, um, the, uh, some, some of our tech stuff, you know, jumping on some, some issues there with, um, with Gary Munn and, uh, you know, uh, troubleshooting and, and whatnot. And I got to continue some of that today. Um, I took a day off in the middle of the week. That was nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's always nice when you can manage to do that. Yeah. Um, so we talked about this a couple of weeks ago and I don't think we, we got into any degree of detail. So you're in the process of trying to onboard a new dispatcher or two. When, when a new dispatcher comes on under the new emergency medical dispatch requirements, what does that process look like and how long does it take? Um, so once, once they're hired, you know, they get through the, the process with HR 
um, you know, they start their first day, um, they essentially come in and start, you know, the observation process and with uh, the current dispatchers. Um, Pete Croce is... He's our assistant dispatch supervisor, but he also takes the lead in training. Um, he, you know, prior to his recent promotion, he was involved in training peripherally. So, you know, the, the next new dispatcher will be his first, um, you know, go around with bringing somebody, uh, you know, and training them up um, from start to finish. We have to get some clarification, actually, because in my conversations um, with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Grady, the um, Mass 911 or State 911 switched a lot of their training to um, an online or, or virtual uh, platform. And it actually became a little bit of a heavier lift for us or or. or you know the the um, the hiring agency because the the requirement, as he explained to me, was that they would uh, or state nine one one required a dispatcher or a trainer to attend those classes with with the new the, hire the trainee. Yeah, so um, I need to you know get some clarification on that. Um, soon because as we onboard that dispatcher what it had been in the past was there were um two classes that had to be completed through state 911 there were a total of five days i believe and then there was the emd class through our, our provider our vendor and that that is uh that was two or three days so and then they have to do CPR. So you know it was about two weeks of actual classroom um, structured training, and then um, the rest of the time is you know in the chair with the the trainer, uh, you know our dispatch super uh, assistant supervisor, you know starting, you know from start to finish, rules and regs, policies and procedures, um, you know learning the computer system, our records management system, um, how to uh, enter the calls, um, how to work through, um, you know, the, uh, you know, the call structure and, and then ultimately closing out the calls, the radio system, um, CGIS, all the, you know, the various um, databases that dispatchers access um, as needed. Um, so, you know, with the, the two weeks and then probably at least six minimum on the, uh, observing and, and obviously what comes to, to play is the, the, uh, the new dispatchers, uh, past experience, uh, their familiarity, their, their ability to, you know, grasp those new concepts. Um, so it could be. You know, minimum, I would say two months, but it, it may take up to four, you know, depending on, on how quickly they're able to grasp it. And, um, you know, it, it's a lot quicker than onboarding a, a patrol officer, but it's still, you know, it's, it's it takes a lot of training. Well, I think the difference is particularly if State 911 is really 
requiring that a fully certified working member of the team be present in at least those preliminary classes with the candidate. You know, it's that's similar to our field training program. But well, a probationer is in the field training program and we treat the field training car as a one officer car. There's two people, four eyes, four hands, two sets of gear. It, it, it's it's one integrated unit, but it's two people, right? So, you know, you could theoretically complete an entire call with just that car. We wouldn't do it for training purposes, but you could. Um, you put two people at one console, only one of them can work. Right? Right. It, it's a loss of a person. Um, so that's that's odd. And if you put two people at a console that's not actually operational, now that's a loss of an operational asset that needs to be backfilled. They can't right. they can't work their shift while they're doing the training. So that's an odd requirement, um, particularly in this environment. Because they didn't require us to send a dispatcher with them to class. Right, exactly. <laughs> that's like sending an FTO to the academy. <laughs> you might be on to something, <laughs> Lieutenant. You might be on to something. <laughs> that would definitely have a positive impact on the attrition rate. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we are uh, we're coming up on our last five minutes here. We should have a couple more minutes, except Cultural Pittsfield apparently is going. Uh, to, uh, listen, I'm happy to hear what they're talking about because it inspires me and kind of informs my weekend. But they're caught into our time. I'm going to have to have a little conversation with Miss Glockner. Well, I, mean, I don't know. We could charge for it. <laughs> Help us with a new station. All right, <laughs> that's another topic. Um, what are your plans for the week holiday weekend, Lieutenant? Um, my my wife has uh, arranged a couple of uh, family get-togethers, so it's it's a little overdue. I've been project heavy here the last couple weekends, so it'll be nice to kind of just relax and uh, you know, I had some a, picnic food. How about you? So I had, um, we also have a couple couple uh, places that we've been invited to stop by and attend. I want to talk about one of those a little bit. Um, but I also had agreed to you know prepare some food to bring to these places. And in my mind, I didn't know when I was going to do it. Like I thought I was going to be cooking like at, you know, five o'clock in the morning, whatever. And then I realized when I was at the dojo last night that, you know, they, um, the, the owners, professors, Professor Mark, Professor Connie, they're taking the holiday. And so there's no class there's no jiu-jitsu class tonight. There's no class Saturday. There's no class Monday. Like, I have plenty of time, right? All this time I normally would be training is available to me. And so the odd part is that my my beautiful bride is hosting one of her um, teams that she manages at our house tonight. And I was trying to figure out how I was going to like discreetly get back into the house after the gym uh, with a house full of guests. But that's not going to be an issue because I don't have to go. So that's, that's number one. And then did you get the email earlier this week from uh, our... our community friend from up in um my washington and yeah and so did you watch that clip no no i didn't know there was a yeah, so clip attached so we've talked a little bit in the past that we have um a, i don't know a friend beneficiary who helps us out with some stuff and he recently introduced us to a mutual friend of his uh, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say her name uh, she's relocated to our area she's a, a army veteran she's a um she's a gold star widow uh, her her fallen husband is a green beret and uh they she's been doing some amazing philanthropic stuff for first responders and military families and uh so that our friend sent us a link to a video clip 
Uh, she was on national news last week making a big announcement. She donated a significant amount of money to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation uh, in behalf on in memory of her husband, whose um, angel birthday was was earlier this week. Uh, so that that was interesting. Um, so one of the things that we've got the opportunity to do tomorrow is spend a little time um, with them at, at the uh, playhouse that they've kind of made available to our our families and our family's children. So we'll do that, I think, tomorrow. And then uh, one of my training partners, always uh, one of my training partners who I have to give a shout out because he just got promoted to brown belt last Saturday, which is a major undertaking. He and his wife, who previously worked with us in the city, uh, they always have a like open house on the 4th. So we may stop by there on Sunday. And then, you know, Monday, we kind of... Like I said, I'm taking a little time off, so we'll see what goes from here. Got to get outside. Hopefully by by Monday we're back to some um, drier weather. I'll tell you what, I, I don't even care. I will put on my ruck and get out on the road even if it's pouring rain. I got Gore-Tex. <laughs> All right, so we are just about out of time. We thank you for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television, available on all of your popular podcast platforms. We'll be back next week with another new episode. Until then, everybody have a happy healthy and safe 4th of July holiday weekend. Be well, be safe, stay healthy, be kind. We're 10-8.